2: Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and I'm really grateful to you, my listening audience. I want to share with you my joy that in just four weeks, we've doubled the number of regions listening to our show. In April, we had a total of 60 regions and 3,000 listeners. That's amazing for such a short time. I truly appreciate your support of this program and encourage you to like us on Facebook and continue to spread the word. It gives me great pleasure to talk with you, to share the information that I've spent years gathering, and to bring to you world-renowned guests like Dr. Marty Loring, who spoke with us last week about the signs of the Emotional abuse and David White, who we will have the privilege of speaking with after the break. If you miss Dr. Marty Loring, be sure to listen to the podcast. And as always, any questions about this show or previous shows are welcome. Call in during the show to 1866-472-5795- an email now or between shows to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. And if you're listening to a podcast or think of a question after the show, the phone number to call is 1-214-736-4460 or email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. As you know, I like to use the first segment of the show to answer questions that I've received or to expand on past topics. The last couple of weeks, I've used this time to talk about spiritual and practical ways to use depression to change your life. Today, I'd like to expand upon that by talking about getting to know the self, the soul, Last week, Dr. Marty Loring told us that the abused person loses touch with their true self. And in fact, that's a main source of depression because we all lose touch with parts of ourselves. We all abuse ourselves by telling us ourselves what we should and shouldn't do. I listened to the Barbara Walters interview last week and she talked about the shoulda, coulda, woulda syndrome that she has and as well known as she is and as highly respected she is continually riddled with self-doubt we all abuse ourselves and hurt ourselves and it's a disconnection with our soul marty emphasized that often abused people have a strong creative bent Expressing their creativity is one way to rediscover the self, to reconnect with our soul. Because the abuser defines the other person and their emotions for them, it's essential that that person begin to discover things for themselves. Who are they? What do they enjoy doing? Writing is one way to do this. We all know about journaling. But not many of us take the time to do it. In education, we talk about writing to learn. Sometimes we can discover our thoughts and feelings when we're writing or painting or engaging in other forms of creativity. It's important to let ourselves feel uncomfortable and express things that we may even think are shameful. What we forget is that we're human beings and all emotions are acceptable, normal, and essential to being alive. When we depress, we are depressing, we are pressing down the emotions. We need to allow them to surface. We need to allow ourselves to feel them. We don't have to shout mean things at people, but we do have to begin to hear ourselves. What do we feel? What do we think? What do we believe? Not not what does our partner think and not what does our partner say about us or not what does society think is right, but what are our own independent thoughts and feelings Some of my coaching clients won't take home the papers that they draw or write in our sessions because they don't want their partner to discover those things. Some have a workplace where they can keep a file. Others ask me to keep the papers in order to protect their private thoughts. Otherwise, they may be subjected to ridicule. Since the abused person is already insecure, And who among us is not? They're wise to protect themselves from further jabs at their self-esteem. Because abused individuals are often isolated from friendship groups, it's helpful to take a class or participate in a small social group organized around a creative endeavor. It could be creative writing or painting or choir or music jam sessions or dance. The research shows that people who, are, who participate in a group that meets as little as once a month are happier. After years of telling myself that I was expressing myself by being a wife, mother, professional career woman, and volunteer in the community, I finally admitted that I was neglecting important parts of myself. I was challenged to look deeper into myself and come to this awareness after hearing David White speak. I was so impressed that I purchased some tapes of his Yes, it was that many years ago that it was actually on tape, not a CD. One sentence caught my attention and stymied me. Your soul would rather you fail at your own life than succeed at someone else's. I was so busy succeeding at someone else's life that I had no idea how to even begin to understand what he was saying. I listened over and over again until I found myself taking action that would eventually change my life. I didn't have a plan. I just began with what was in front of me. I had always wanted to write, so when I heard some people who I barely knew talking about forming a writing group, I asked if I could join, and that was the beginning I was amazed at the pieces I wrote. They were all impromptu with no rewriting, just putting on paper whatever came into my mind while pushing my internal critic voice out of the way. When I was an undergraduate, I explored the idea of becoming a writer, but my composition prof told me that I wouldn't be successful in a creative writing career. So I allowed myself to be discouraged, to be defined by him. Eventually, I got tired of other people telling me what I was capable of and chose to explore it on my own. So now I discovered that writing could be fun, that I enjoyed it, and my fellow writers enjoyed my work. That was good enough for them and for me. Eventually, I even published some of it, and maybe someday we'll publish more. Then I decided to work through Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. Some people take it as a class. I prefer to do it on my own. I actually worked through the book two different times over the course of a few years. Each time I got new growth because I was different. What I discovered is that we are all creative, and we just need to give ourselves permission to explore our own brand of creativity, which I did, and I even help other people do the same through workshops and coaching. I've helped artists and writers and musicians to explore more deeply their own creativity and to remove Their creative blocks. As a result of one of Julia Cameron's exercises in the artist's way, I bought some children's watercolor paints. I had so much fun that I continued to explore watercolors, silk painting, acrylics, and mixed media on my own, developing my own style. I had taken a few oil painting classes in my early 20s, but since we were copying the masters, I didn't ever really feel like they were my paintings. Later, when I saw the originals, I realized that they really were my interpretation of the masters and not exact copies. Although I felt better about my previous work, I still preferred the freedom that I had with the new paints that I was using. Oils took a long time to set up and clean up, and besides, the reason I used them originally was because I could go over and over them to make them perfect, or attempt to make them perfect anyway. Now I love the freedom and flow of paints that move and blend, creating surprise and serendipity. I now make room for the universe to participate in my art and in my writing. And in my art, the joy is that animals, people, and angels appear in my paintings that I don't intentionally put there. I went from impressionism to abstract expressionism, and I have more fun than I would have thought possible. Although my painting was ridiculed as a child, I have now sold to the fashion designer Mary McFadden, and shown in museums across the United States and internationally. The real gift is that as I have learned to let go of my perfectionism, my fear of getting it wrong, and have allowed myself to engage in a flow of writing and or painting, I have learned to do so in my life as well. I now write and paint in the moment with peace and ease, and I do so most of the time in my life as well. When I get an uneasy feeling, it's because I've lost touch with that authenticity. And when I get back on track, everything settles down and I can write and paint with ease and flow and certainty. The other creative activity that has brought me great joy and taught me to be in the moment is Argentine tango. It's really a walking meditation. What you see on the dance programs on television is performance tango, not the social dance. The social dance is not choreographed. It's spontaneous in the moment and different with each song and partner. To be a good follower, I had to learn to let go of my thinking brain, trust and feel my partners lead. I actually close my eyes so as to stay totally focused and not allow myself to be distracted by other dancers. The biggest challenge, however, has been to clear my mind. The result is that I have learned a great deal about myself and myself in relationship to others. I have learned about drawing boundaries and protecting myself from untrustworthy partners. I've also discovered that the little girl who was made fun of, called a klutz, and rarely asked to dance at social dances does not exist anymore. Argentine Tango has helped me learn who I am on the dance floor and in life. Poetry is the other form of creativity that has astonished me with its blessings. Although I was an English teacher in the early years of my career, I never felt comfortable with poetry. On the whole, there were a few poets who I understood and and enjoyed, but for the most part, poetry was not accessible or pleasurable for me to read or to write. It wasn't until I heard our guest, David White, recite poetry to emphasize the philosophical wisdom that he was sharing in a speech some 20 years ago that I fell in love with poetry. I was overcome with the beauty he conveyed through his depth of connection. The poetry went into me where it still lives. As a result, I actually wrote a series of poems about my mother's family. It was a way for me to come to terms with some of the pain in our family history, to feel it, understand it, share it, process it. The process of writing poetry is different than any other form of writing, and it allows one to grasp, digest, and feel in a way that is unique unto itself. It's my privilege today to have David White on the show and to share with you his unique brand of interweaving, profound wisdom, and poetry. He's the author of seven books of poetry and three books of prose. David holds a degree in marine zoology and has learned traveled extensively, including working as a naturalist guide in the Galapagos Islands. He brings his wealth of experience to his poetry lectures and workshops. He has a devoted audience in the three normally mutually exclusive worlds of poetry readings, philosophical inquiry, and organizational leadership an associate fellow at Said business school at the university of oxford he takes his perspectives on creativity into organizational development where he works with european american and international companies using poetry and thoughtful commentary he fosters courage and engagement qualities much needed to respond to today's call for increased creativity and adaptability in the workplace and in life. You're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, and I'm your host, Dr. Paula. Remember to call in your questions to 1-866-472-5795 or email drpaulajoyce at gmail.com.
0: The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Time
3: for a fresh perspective, from leadership development to team building and reimagining your mission. Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the life doctor, today at 214 208 3533 or visit paulajoyce.com.
0: Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Be the best that you can be. Dr.
3: Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation, whether it's individual or group, business or personal. Attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214 208 83533 or visit
2: paulajoyce.com
0: today. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
1: You are listening to Uplift Your Life Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1 866 Four seven two five seven nine five. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine five. You may also send an email to dr. Paula Joyce at gmail.com. That's dr. Paula at gmail.com. Now back to uplift your life, nourishment of the spirit.
2: If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Paula, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, and we're here with David White, poet, best-selling author and lecturer. Good morning, David.
4: Good morning, Paula. How are you?
2: I'm great, Um, and I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. And before we came on, we were talking a little bit about the power of poetry. Would you talk with my guests about about that, please.
4: Um, in the deep end, eh? yes. Well, uh, we tend to think of poetry as an abstract art form, you know, but uh, it's actually something all of us have practiced since we first formed our first vowels or or sounds that represented a door, or a floor, or the sky as children. And uh, so, to my mind, uh, poetry is uh, is language against which we have no defenses. It's the representation of the thing itself, whereas prose, in my mind, would be about something, and you can have beautifully poetic prose that speaks to the heart of things. But poetry should be the heart itself. And to my mind, poetry is a marriage of uh, the body being physically present, you know, and being real on the ground, with the imagination and the intellect. Yeah. And we tend to think of the imagination as the ability to think up new things. But uh, Coleridge and Keats would have disagreed with that and uh, called that the secondary imagination or the fancy. But the the primary imagination is the ability of a person to form an image inside of them which makes sense of all the thousands of often besieging images that they're surrounded by and to form a central um, ecology in a way that holds the whole thing together and uh so the ability to speak that image into the world that's central and of course sometimes it's a visual image sometimes it's a just a kind of tonality in your the way you're feeling <clears throat> but uh if you can speak uh, the central pattern then you can hold often very difficult dynamics together and so the other thing i would say about poetry is is that it's the art of asking really beautiful questions but often in very, very unbeautiful moments. I often think that human beings can't quite believe what they're involved with in the average human life, with the passageway through loss and grief and disappearance. Everything and everything, everything and everyone we know will actually say goodbye to us at one time or another. So we're constantly trying to find a different life where this isn't true. And, uh, poetry is actually the art of, of, Speaking, uh, speaking the truth and, uh, and the beauty of that truth, as Keats would have said, that we're here and uh, we will have our hearts broken, and yet it's astonishing. And can you speak that dynamic into the world? Can you hold that conversation in your speech, in your body, in your stance, in your work in life?
2: One of, you were talking about asking the questions, and the other thing that I find when I'm writing poetry is surprising myself with the answers that I didn't expect.
4: Exactly, yes, yeah. So uh, the way I say that is, uh, articulate that, is uh, overhearing yourself say things you didn't know you knew. So you are, it's a very, I uh, I often feel in a, in, uh, in a feeling in a state of complete uh, or at least one's trying to cultivate a state of complete physical readiness for, for what's about to be said you're trying to enunciate the pattern of your life, the understanding in, in the poetic imagination is you already know what's going on actually, you already know the courageous step you have to take you already know what the pattern is that you're involved with you've just got to have the courage to say it as soon as you've spoken it, you're, you're out in the world again, and uh, you're involved in the conversation, and it's the conversation that will, will do all the work. You know, when we say looking through the eyes of wisdom, it's not, that <clears throat> it's not that I or you will have the wisdom, but if the conversation is held properly, the wisdom will be present you know, between us. So I think it's the same, the same dynamic between an individual and their world and creation. You're trying to actually create a proper conversation where you meet something other than yourself. Often something quite overwhelming, because you didn't, quite often want to to overhear what you didn't know. You didn't want to know that your relationship is killing you, or or your your work is something that you should have left years ago, or. Uh, or that um, you're not happy living where you're living, and, or you need to change the dynamic with your child. These are, these are, these are <clears throat> nests that we make for ourselves, and that become extremely comfortable. And uh, so you could say that uh, poetry is the act of uh, fledging and leaving that nest out into the, flying out into the world, you know.
2: And, There's a lovely yet- story
4: out of the Irish tradition of St. Kevin uh, praying by a river, and uh, St. Kevin would have been an unofficial Irish saint, unblessed by the Vatican, <laughs> but <laughs> the Irish used to, um, used to uh, pray with their hands out at their sides, not together, and uh, Kevin uh, prayed for so long that the blackbird came and landed in his open palm and found it very comfortable and started building a nest, and uh, Kevin... Uh, felt so close to the natural world and to this mother bird that he didn't want to disturb it. And so he uh, he had to keep praying until the nest was built. But then, of course, the mother bird laid an egg in the nest, and <laughs> Kevin had to keep praying until until the uh, egg was hatched. But then, of course, there was a chick in the nest, and he had to keep praying until, until the bird was fledged. <laughs> And then he could put his hands together and take a rest. But it was it's a gorgeous illustration, actually, of one of the things we're doing when we're trying to speak the truth. And uh, I have a poem called Coleman's Bed where I make that invitation to myself and to others. And the first lines of the poem are, uh, make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. So to my, to my mind, part of the art form of poetry is warming this interior life, <clears throat> warming it so I can actually it can actually, uh, it can actually uh, stretch its wings and fly into the world, and then it's in that flight that uh, that you get uh, remarkable speech. And you get it in a, a great speech by a, by a politician on a on a podium at times in history. You know, you get it uh, in at uh, uh, a midnight kitchen table. It's a life-changing conversation and uh, you get it walking along where, where you articulate uh, your future life, even though it's not laid out. <clears throat> There's a glorious uh, moment where William Wordsworth was walking over the hills a couple of hundred years ago, and uh, and uh, he's so transported by the beauty of the mountain uh, area of the north of England where he grew up, and he's seeing it as if for the first time again. He's been away in Cambridge and the flatlands uh, of the east of England he's come back and he sees this place he's walking at dawn and um, he's transported by it but at the end he says uh, he he says I made no vows but vows were then made for me I made no vows but vows were then made for me bond unknown to me was given that I should be else sinning greatly a dedicated spirit and on I walked in blessedness which even yet remains. I made no vows, but vows were then made for me. Bond unknown to me was given, bond unknown to me was given, that I should be, else sinning greatly, a dedicated spirit, and on I walked in blessedness, which even yet remains. For glorious moment, because it is actually the moment that he dedicated his, uh, his life to poetry and to the unknown, path that it would take him on
2: And, and i i think that's the beauty of early where you've been talking about how the words that we don't want to hear and yet those are the very hear ourselves say but yet those are the very words that free us to become who we are and once they surface the the fear really i think begins to dissipate because the fear was in not allowing the truth to come out and once it's out then it's manageable then oh that that's what's right and then stepping into the unknown path just feels easier
4: uh, i'd say at times that's true but uh I think often you know we uh we will actually open up a door and then close it immediately because it's actually so fearsome what lies on the other side and the consequences of it of leaving your presently constituted life so what's really important is to keep that live relationship with the unknown and because that is what will sustain you you have to have your eyes on this uh, star that's calling you this horizon and if you listen to Wordsworth, he doesn't say, oh, once I dedicated myself to poetry, all fell into place. He says, bond unknown to me was given. The bond unknown to me was given that I should be else sinning greatly, a dedicated spirit. So it's more like a marvelous invitation. And it's a sense of uh, of faith in that invitation that takes us through very, very difficult territory. So it would be, I think it would be too easy to say that once you've, once you've said it, you're uh, you're always um, you're always on the right path after that. But what it does is open up this horizon, and the great question is, will you keep your faith with that horizon, even though you lose it at times, even though it disappears from sight, even though you will have your heart broken along the way? Um, if you think about it, there is no sincere path a human being can take without having their heart broken. Every marriage, even the longest marriage, has had its heart broken many times just to stay together. Uh, every work you do, if you're sincere about it, you should feel as if you don't know how to proceed at times, as if you can't get there from here. And uh, and in the relationship with the self, where we're trying to find out uh, what our essential conversation is, uh, you're going to actually... Have times where you don't feel as if you're up to it, yeah. And to my mind, this is a proper relationship with reality, uh, a grounded relationship with reality. It's not an idealized, you know, image of New Age perfection. Uh, it it actually puts you into a proper relationship with the world. Why? Because you have to ask for help, and um, and in asking for help, you actually start to shape a more invitational identity. And uh, you start to create the conversations which will actually do the work for you. So a beautiful question to ask oneself is, how invitational is my identity? And um, how, do I know how to ask for help sincerely? And to my mind, there are two forms of, uh, of help. One is visible help, which is the help we're used to, which is transactional help. I hand over a few shekels and I get something back for it. But then perhaps the more important help is invisible help. And you can think of invisible help as the help uh, of coming from other parallels than our own, which is the ancient understanding of it. But you can also think of it in very practically, practically mystical terms, <laughs> in the sense that the invisible help is the help that you do not as yet know you need. You actually wouldn't even recognize the help in your presently constituted identity if it was offered to you. You can only actually apprentice yourself and shape your shape your identity towards revelation, towards surprise, towards actually uh, suddenly recognizing what has been before your eyes all along. And you could say that's one of the central dynamics of poetry is presence... Uh, <clears throat> A miracle combined with extreme groundedness yeah. uh, in the body, spoken from the body, written from the body, um, but can but um, corroborated by the imagination, and then articulated by the intellect, the beauties of the intellect. so we don't we don't push the intellect away. we um we simply reorder it in the hierarchy, yeah. And and so good poetry is satisfying to to the physical body, to the imagination, and to the intellect. It pleases them all at once. And it doesn't tell you that you have to let go of your intellect in order to have faith in your body. It just says in, in order to have faith in your physical intuition of things. Yeah. It just reorders it so that the intellect becomes a good servant to the soul's desires in the world. And I suppose the soul is the faculty of belonging inside a human being.
2: So poetry allows us to access, I think, parts of ourselves that we often run away from. And, and I think what I was trying to say before is not that life um, becomes simple and, and all beautiful with no difficulties. I think inherently life has challenges I think what I've discovered anyway is that I'd rather meet the challenges of becoming who I am than the challenges and difficulties of continuing to be a false presence in the world and doing what everybody else thought i should do and try to be what everybody else thought i should be to do it right rather than to do what's right for me
4: yes exactly but uh what we need to do is we need to enlarge our language because we tend to think of this when we talk for instance about discovering this me and we tend to think it's inside us you know and that i have a I have a commodity inside me which I'm going to mine and uncover, and and once it's uncovered, that's the essential me. But all our great traditions say, no, that, that me only actually comes fully into the world when it meets something other than itself, yeah, when it's in conversation with the world. So the interesting thing is you're not going to discover this abstract me just by looking inside yourself, yeah. You have to have a sense of the inside coming to meet the outside. And, of course, this is where our sense of presence in the world comes from and where our ability to have compassion for others' pain and disappearances also comes from, too. Someone who's, someone who's really listening, someone who's really present, and someone who knows when to extend a helping hand is an astonishing and uh, time-honored gift in life. And uh, it can be incredibly rare, and the interesting thing is it can, there can be nothing more more selfish than someone who is on a spiritual path. I remember a friend of, uh, <clears throat> coming back from a workshop and, uh, I, uh, from a long retreat, and I, I spoke to her husband about it and said, how was it? He said, well, she seems to have fallen in love with humanity, but she doesn't like anyone in particular. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think coded in there was me, me in particular. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the ability to have uh, have caritas uh, and charitas, uh, to have heartfelt presence that's there and sees other people not as ciphers or stepping stones on my, or tests for me, you know, but in friendship for instance you know there is a portion of friendship where it's it has it does have to do with self improvement i mean a good friend will put you right when you're when you're getting above and beyond yourself and uh put your feet back on the ground but the touchstone to my mind of friendship is is actually witness yeah and the beautiful thing about a long friendship is uh in that witness you must have forgiven each other many many times you've, you will always trespass on your friends sensibilities and they will always trespass on yours and, and you've forgiven them and they've forgiven you and that's how you've gone on through the years and that's why you are by definition still friends. So a long friendship is, based, is built on mutual and continued forgiveness and to my mind that a good friendship is a touchstone of presence and, uh, and it's a harvest of presence too and I think uh, one of the ways we can look at our health as, a, as individual beings is to look at our circles of friendship. Are they, are they diminishing? You know? uh, are they too small? And I think of that not only just friendship with human beings, but with places, too, that we love, uh, yeah. and with music and, uh, and with literature, You know, the, the deep friendships we hold in our life that that put us in an abiding relationship with the horizon. Can
2: can we continue this after a quick break?
4: We can indeed, yeah.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
4: Lovely.
0: Be the Change, the 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a
3: one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals. Solve your most challenging problems
1: You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life,
2: Nourishment of the Spirit. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Paula, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And we're here with David White. Be sure to go to David White. That's W H Y T E dot com to learn more about him and to see all of the wonderful books that he has available. David, um, we were just talking about how um, one one's identity continues to grow and and um, changes as we widen our perspe- perception and things and, and are able to go deeper and fiercer.
4: Yeah, I first uh, started <clears throat> articulating that dynamic in my 20s when I, w- I worked as a, a naturalist guide in the Galapagos Islands. And um, because in many ways I was... Um, I was in a, uh, an intensive uh, uh, relationship with silence for so many hours a day there. Even though I was guiding people and protecting the islands, you would spend many hours looking at animals and birds and landscapes and birds flying and nesting. And, uh, and I, I soon began to feel that, uh, that I was a different person depending on how much attention I paid to the world. It didn't depend on what I, I believed in or, or, or who I thought I was. It actually depended on how much uh, attention I was willing to give to things other than myself. And I identified five, five different levels at that time. So I suppose it was my first, first uh, uh, homegrown philosophy that I had. I started writing out and started actually working with the whole phenomenon of uh, what happens when, when you actually start paying attention. And then when I left Galapagos, I suppose I started writing from those different states of attention and actually speaking about them. Because, of, f- of course, the first state of attention is no attention at all. It's just exile. It's not noticing anything than yourself. And, uh, and it's the conceit that you're the center of the world. And, uh, so, um, so just the act of being here is, is understood in our great religious and meditative traditions as uh, contemplative traditions as being an act of courage, because uh, it's a bit like leadership in organizations. It's all about visibility, just the fact that you're visible means you can be found, and when you can be found, you can be hurt. Yeah. So human beings have all of these practice forms of invisibility, of not showing up, and, uh, and of not, uh, not taking the consequences of showing up. So just paying attention means that you're implicated. You're going to look at the at not only what is being given to you, but what is going to be taken away from you. You're, you're looking at the full natural cycle of the world. Yeah.
2: You, know, you also talk about self-compassion and the importance of, uh, I think, using one's experience not to judge or hurt oneself with self-recrimination, but to have self-compassion, and I think that also leads to compassion and kindness towards others.
4: Yes, and uh, to a proper, I think also, strangely enough, to a proper relationship with the future, and so the ability to ask the beautiful question. I often think if we spoke to others the way that we try to hold the conversation inside us we'd never have another friend in the world. <laughs> so much of our internal language has to do with coercion, turning ourselves off and uh and uh, uh feeling there's something uh, wrong with us, yeah. And and of course, uh, that <laughs> that suspicion at time is corroborated. There is something wrong with us at times, yeah. <laughs> but um but uh uh, the ability to, uh, to, uh, have solace, you know, to, to ask a question in a way in which it emancipates you out of your imprisonment into the world and makes you generous again. Uh, this is one of the beautiful substrates and ground on which you can walk in poetry. Uh, I had a lovely experience with my, my Irish niece Marlene McCormick coming back from having done the Camino de Santiago, this great pilgrimage in northern spain it stretches from the pyrenees to santiago to Compostela, and you go for five or six weeks but then you have the choice to go on from this busy city where no one's taking any notice of you a new great pilgrimage <laughs> you have the choice to go on for three days to the coast to a place called appropriately enough finisterre which in Latin, the old Latin world, meant the ends of the earth. And it it literally, as you're looking out across the Atlantic at a horizon which people were very fearful of crossing in the ancient days. And for my niece, it actually was a fearful horizon because she had finished her university degree, and uh, this walk was a transition, and now the walk was over, and her life lay before her. And she said, "When when you get there, you go through three rituals, you eat a tapas plate of uh, scallops, uh, which is the emblem of the, of the walk. You burn something you've brought, usually a letter or postcard or something, and then you leave an item of your clothing by the shore. And she said it was really astonishing because she burned the letter and postcards, and then she left her shoes, her boots that she'd worn because they were finished, on the pile of clothes with everyone else's. And then she said the the sun was going down, but the full moon was coming up behind her. And the full moon was illuminated by the dying sun. And when the sun had dropped below the horizon, the moon was still illuminated. And it looked as if she had a moon shadow that was passing over the water before her. But she said she knew that that moon shadow would disappear. It was her old self. And she'd actually have to walk across that water herself. So I wrote this. Uh, I wrote this piece uh, dedicated to that experience she had, and it's it's, it's called Finister. The road in the end, Finister. The road in the end, taking the path the sun had taken into the western sea. Into the western sea. The road in the end, taking the path the sun had taken into the western sea, and the moon rising behind you as you stood where ground turned to ocean. No way to your future now, except the way your shadow could take, walking before you across water, going where shadows go. No way to make sense of a world that wouldn't let you pass, except to call an end to the way you had come. To take out each frayed letter you had brought and light their illumined corners, and to read them as they drifted on the late western light. To empty your bags, to sort this and to leave that. To promise what you needed to promise all along. To promise what you needed to promise all along. And to abandon the shoes that brought you here right at the water's edge. To abandon the shoes that brought you here right at the water's edge. Not because you had given up, but because now you would find a different way to tread. And because through it all, part of you would still walk on, no matter how. Over the waves. Hmm. Not because you had given up, but because now you would find a different way to tread. And because through it all, part of you would still walk on, would still walk on, no matter how, over the waves. Finisterre for Marlene McCormick.
2: Would what beauty i'm i'm just sort of s- sitting here not sure exactly what to say we've only Standing got
4: Finister hopefully your own finisterre yeah
2: <laughs> yes and yeah. and I i guess one one thing that i do want to say and then um and then if you have one um, final word or, or thought for us because i want the last minute um also for the audience listening audience but i just have to say that I wish you had been there when I was learning poetry and when I was teaching poetry and I hope that there are other teachers listening now and that this will podcast will be shared with other teachers because the way you feel and recite poetry and connect to it is so incredibly beautiful that it doesn't allow somebody to miss um, it, it, it's, its power. And I am so grateful to you for your wisdom and your sharing of your deep connection with poetry and the, your unique way of delivering it and making it live.
4: You're very kind, Paula. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you, and I do hope that um, we will have another opportunity to talk in in a future show.
4: I look forward to that.
2: Thank you. I wish you the best. Thank you.
3: Yeah, goodbye.
2: Bye. And I want to um, thank my audience for listening, and please do share this podcast with other people. Um, Thank you for joining us today for Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you enjoyed today's show, like us on Facebook. For more information on my services, go to my website, paulajoyce.com. And for more information on David White, go to davidwhyte.com. And tune in next week for a fascinating discussion on using yoga to recover from trauma and abuse. This is Dr. Paula, your CM or chosen mom as designated by Bernie Siegel, reminding you to never forget you are loved. Have a blessed week.